you, Josh. <laughs> oh, and I can tell the mic's on, too. Thanks. Good evening, everybody. I'm glad you're all here. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to say thank you for um, writing this story in my life, that you, you are my rescuer. You're the one who pulled me out of the pit, and um, this is all for your glory, and I just ask that you bless the words and make it fruitful, and that it glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. My name is Catherine. Hi, Catherine. Hi. I'm a believer, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ in recovery for drugs, alcohol, and codependency. I have 17 years, five months, and 25 days of recovery. <laughs> Psalm 66, 16. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I was born the youngest of three children, I went through withdrawals as a baby because my mother had been taking codeine for medical reasons. It wasn't considered to be addictive then. I had a good childhood, but we had our share of troubles. Alcoholism is in my family ancestry on both sides. I was warned about that when I got older, but I did not think it applied to me. At my mother's insistence, we attended church where I went to Sunday school. My parents had a good marriage, but there were problems with pornography. That caused terrible fights, which were traumatizing to me. Because of pornography, I was sexualized at a young age. My mother was angry a lot. She suffered from severe arthritis pain and hypertension. She had a short fuse and little things would set her off, sometimes resulting in things getting thrown or me being told to get out of her sight. It was a mixed message to me as a child, and I thought she didn't love me or want me around. I developed codependent traits and PTSD at a young age. I became acutely vigilant of her moods and would make excuses for her behavior to friends who would agree to sleepovers and then leave because they were afraid of her. At about age eight, I was given my first taste of alcohol at the dinner table. I was also exposed to the effects of alcoholism and physical violence at home through my sister's first marriage. I was often left in her care as she was 11 years older than me. My sister's first husband would leave and not come back for days at a time after an alcoholic binge. One evening he returned drunk and became enraged after seeing my sister's girlfriend and mistaking her for a man. There was a lot of screaming and yelling and their baby was crying and he threatened to make him stop. I remember a knife ended up in a wall. A very scared little Kathy removed an old Civil War sword off the bedroom wall and came running down the hall yelling, don't you hurt my sister. I did not use the sword, I was just a kid, but I thought I was gonna protect her. I didn't know he was often in the habit of beating my sister when he'd been drinking. By the time I reached junior high, I was emotionally shut down. I didn't cry very often. When I got into trouble, I pretended not to care. My motto was, my motto was trouble never lasts forever anyway. I had coping methods of denial, stuffing my feelings, trying to be gone or invisible. I became sneaky and rebellious. I began to smoke pot, use amphetamine pills, and drink. I had my first run-in with the police, getting caught with a friend stealing things from a department store. Our, friends were our parents were called. She cried and felt remorse. I did not cry. I was just stoic, and no charges were filed against us. 
My brother, who is 15 years older than me, was also an influence on my life, though he tried not to be. He had moved out and gotten married. I, I adored my big brother, so I wanted to be just like him. When I visited him and his family, there was pot smoking, drinking, and other drug use going on, living off the land, growing marijuana, music sessions with their friends, and a bathroom decorated with Playboy pictures, literally plastered all over the walls, were a part of that hippie lifestyle, and I thought it was all cool. When I was 15, I had my first sexual experience with a 21-year-old man. I thought I was in love. I had no idea he was a heroin addict. I couldn't see the red flags. I was told by my parents of his problem after they read about him getting arrested in the newspaper, and that ended the relationship. As to me, dating a 21-year-old at 15, my mother explained to me later in life that her and my dad believed I was mature enough to handle it and say no to sex. She also apologized to me for not being more protective of me. They didn't know I had been given birth control pills by my sister-in-law, and they were out of touch with what was going on with me at that time in my life. At the end of my senior year, my parents decided to get a divorce. My dad moved away to Nevada, and I didn't get to see him very often. I really missed his influence in my life. When I was 18, I started to attend college, but I had met someone, and we chose to get married. Our families warned us we were too young, and they were right, but we didn't listen. The marriage only lasted a couple of years. Issues came up that I didn't know how to handle, so I left and went back home. He never wanted to separate, and I didn't really give it a chance to work out. Not long after, I met a new man and fell in love again. We moved in together and lived as an unmarried couple for six years before getting married. Within a year, I found out he was a heroin addict. I had no education about addictions. I had never even heard the word codependency, so I quickly became part of the problem. Luke 6.39, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? I did all the usual things codependents do, trying to control an out-of-control addict. I vented my anger on him, made excuses for him missing work, gave him money for drugs, I took care of him when he was sick from withdrawals. Everything revolved around the drugs and him. So I lost myself and I became sad, angry, and resentful. I pridefully assumed I knew how to handle the situation and didn't seek any help. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall. After endless attempts to get him to stop for me, I decided I needed to understand what was so good about it that he couldn't give it up for me. I had agreed it would only be once, but I only wanted more after that. We loved each other, but we couldn't be a loving couple on drugs and alcohol. When we finally married, we were falling apart. In the next six years, I had two abortions. Jeremiah 7, 6 says, do not shed innocent blood. We were two scared addicts. I was afraid of him leaving me and afraid of having a baby. In my heart, I really wanted to have our children, but I was numb, selfish, and unable to make the right choice. I was a codependent with low self-esteem and judged myself as unworthy to have children because I was an addict. I was raised to believe that addicts and alcoholics were trash, so I applied that judgment to myself. Afterwards, I subconsciously turned against myself with buried hatred and harsh judgment. I was now my own enemy and would attempt suicide six different times in my life trying to get rid of me. I called it taking out the trash. As a consequence of my choice to abort our children, I never again got pregnant. 
During this time, I went to my first rehab where I learned about the concept of choices. It didn't even occur to me that I had choices before. After rehab, I didn't stay clean. My husband, his friend, and I were arrested for drug-related crimes. They went to prison, and I went to jail for my first offense. While my spouse was gone, I kept using, and I was unfaithful to him. When he got out, he went to visit his family. He never returned, and there was no closure. So there I was grieving our 12-year relationship and failed marriage. During my active addiction life, I experienced multiple sexual assaults by drug dealers and others. When I was high and numb, I rendered myself frozen and unable to protect myself. It would be revealed to me in recovery that my part was I repeatedly put myself in those situations over and over, expecting a different result. I am not, however, responsible for the actions of my assaulters. I went on to get arrested again and went to prison for a six-year sentence. While I was in there, my mother still supported me and came to visit me twice. Her unconditional love meant a lot to me. In 1991, I got out and got a job where I met, met the man that would be my future husband. I thought a straight man was the answer to my problems. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sadly, I still wasn't getting that I was the problem. Five years later, Tim and I were married in 1996. Eventually, I returned to chronically using cocaine. I would still admit I was an addict, but I didn't want to stop or do anything about it. I tried to hide it from Tim and my family. I thought no one could tell, but I was in denial and everybody could tell. Eventually, I attended two more rehab programs and had numerous relapses before I realized that I wasn't seeking a higher power and I needed God. The first 10 years of our marriage were very difficult for us. We moved to Modesto. I had switched my drug of choice to meth. I would leave for days at a time on binges. We had horrible fights all the time. I was abusive to my spouse, myself, and others. I spent my days using in a closet, suffering from paranoia, drug-induced psychosis, and taking psych meds prescribed by doctors at the same time. God allowed me to feel the pain I was causing my loved ones, though, and that got my attention. I realized I was going to die if something didn't change. Finally, I got on my knees and begged God to help me. On September 3rd, 2001, my neighbor brought me to Big Valley Grace Church, where I went through a deliverance process in a spiritual warfare ministry. During my appointment, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Finally. <laughs> Though I was now saved, I had not yet surrendered my will and life over to his care and control or asked him to live in my heart. CR was not at Big Valley yet, and I didn't get that I really needed a 12-step program. I thought I was cured and could now drink responsibly, so I drank again, and that led to my using again, as it always had. Over the next four years, the Holy Spirit kept fighting for me. Eventually, I was brought to Big Valley again and dropped off at this program found by my neighbor called Celebrate Recovery. Yay. <laughs> I was so self-conscious and uncomfortable, and my diseased mind was looking for any excuse not to be there. I had been reading the Bible, and I thought I was of too poor soil for anything to grow in me. I also didn't understand what everybody meant by work it because you're worth it. I kept relapsing until October 31st of 2005 when I went out intentionally looking for my bottom. That was the last day I used drugs, 
and eight days later, I stopped drinking as well. November 8th, 2005, I finally reached the place of true surrender. I had come to the end, amen. <laughs> I had come to the end of myself at last. The third step is made a decision to turn our will and lives over to the care of God. I told God, I give up and I will do whatever you want. So I returned to Celebrate Recovery again. I got a sponsor and I went through a step study. I learned it was ultimately important to work the steps and live my new life with rigorous honesty. When I got into my fourth step, I had amazing, an amazing spiritual awakening and the chains of my addictions were broken by God's mighty power. As I was coming out of my numbness, my feelings came back. I began grieving my aborted children. I thought, what had, what had I done to them? I thought what I had done to them was unforgivable. I found it easier to forgive others than myself. Jesus understood my struggle and led me to a class at Big Valley called Surrendering the Secrets. This class is for those surrendering from the heartbreak of abortion. It was exactly what I needed. God showed me that Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover anything I or anyone had ever done. He helped me to know it was okay to forgive myself as well as others. During the class, the Holy Spirit revealed the names of my children and that there were three of them, not just two. Forgiveness is key to freedom, and God says to forgive and be forgiven in Matthew 6.14. He also opened my eyes to a dark part of myself. I had not just been running away, but my self-hatred was about punishing Kathy by shutting myself off with drugs, abuse of my body, relentless self-judgment, and numerous suicide attempts because I didn't believe I deserved to live. And if that wasn't enough, I had been subconsciously provoking others to punish me as well. This was hard to look at, but necessary as God was loving me, healing me, and my relationships. I now have a spiritual bond with my three children and have the peace of knowing they are in heaven. In 2015, God gave me a gift. I got to take a childbirth class and help deliver a beautiful baby girl. I am very grateful that God would bless me to have this, this birth experience. And Isaiah 1.9 Isaiah 1, says, if you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. In 2008, God led me back to court to get my record expunged. He brought the right people into play to help me with it, and I also got a certificate of rehabilitation as well. At that time, I had no idea that God had a plan for my expungement to be useful in the future. I was so happy, and I was seeing my life and relationships getting healed by God. I had caused a lot of damage to our marriage. Because of God in this program, I was able to make amends through step eight for all the hurtful things I had done. I had to learn that rebuilding trust takes time, and I needed to be patient while my husband healed, and I made living amends by taking responsibility for my addictions and working my program. Thanks to God, our marriage has survived. Now, at 26 years, we have become best friends and a good team. Yeah. My family relationships also were healed. I got to enjoy more time with my dad before he died in 2004. My sister and her husband came to live near us in 2010. They were both unwell, and I was able to be of help to them until they both passed away. My mother lived to be 93, and I became her caregiver in the last three months of her life until she passed in 2015. Caregiving mom was at times overwhelming, and I thought I might die before she did, 
but it was important to me to give back to my mother after everything she had gone through to stand by me. Within the years 2014 and 2017, about 14 people died. Amongst those were my closest birth family support, friends, neighbors, and other family. As a result, I had stacked up grief and I felt like a clogged emotional drain. I learned that grief has many aspects to it, that not everyone grieves the same way, that it can affect how a person thinks and behaves. In the aftermath, I had a whole range of emotions going on, including anger, resentments, expectations, depression, entitlement, fears, and more. I realized I needed help, so I chose to attend Grief Share class at Big Valley, which helped me process through my pain. My involvement in my mother's relationship with her significant other was what I would call childing by guilt. I felt like I always had to prove myself a sober, responsible person to them. I had a sense of loyalty to her to the point that I put myself into the middle of their relationship for years, which was not a healthy choice. I was very codependent to my mother. During the caregiving period, I finally got to where I was able to make a boundary with them, though it was not well received. It was, however, a healthy step I needed to make to take care of myself. In recovery, we have a saying that it's progress, not perfection. While I may want to do it perfect, I realize that I am a broken human. Life is messy at times and I will make mistakes. What is important is to learn from those mistakes and accept God's amazing grace is there for me when I have failures. I did go through a time of struggle where I had some bitterness and unforgiveness that I just couldn't seem to get rid of. I was still working my steps and making confession, but the issue just kept coming back. This caused me to get stuck for a few years. God reveals the lessons and the growth comes in his timing, not mine or anyone else's. This is also why it's important not to judge and give grace to others who are also on their own journey. In year 2020, I was experiencing all sorts of emotional pain. I was thinking that people were either mad at me or against me when there was often nothing wrong between us at all. This was a case of fear or false evidence appearing real as a result of PTSD and out-of-control character defects. Let's just call it the insanity of my disease. I had been getting into things that were none of my business, accepting responsibility for things that weren't truly mine. I was angry and resentful because I had issues with expectations and was struggling with acceptance. I needed, to help to un I needed help to untangle all these painful threads that were going on inside of me. Hosea 2.6, I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall. She shall not find her paths. I felt God was frustrating my every move and he was trying to get my attention. With 2020 came this new and painful bottom. God had been prompting me to go to Al-Anon. I was reluctant to come out of my comfort zone here. However, in May 2020, I did commit to working the program with a sponsor. As I got into step two, God revealed to me that I was subconsciously creating painful situations for myself, making myself a victim. My new sponsor asked me if I thought I was in the throes of my alcoholism disease. <sighs> with that realization, all I could do was cry. Over the next two years, I would learn that much of my character defects and insanity came about as a result of living with the diseases of alcoholism and pornography addiction as a child in my family. It has continued to affect my relationships as an adult and how I cope with life. Some of the tools I have learned are Q-tip, which stands for quit taking it personal, 
and remember to ask God to restore me to sanity, which is step two. God is helping me not to think like a victim anymore. I now understand I need to be responsible for my feelings and that no one can actually make me feel anything. <laughs> the circle around my feet defines my area of responsibility, which is me, my attitudes, actions, behaviors, feelings, and choices. I also now have a God box, which I find helpful for letting go and letting God. It's such a comfort to know that God does not waste our pain when we see his work producing growth and change. During the pandemic, I became more willing as I needed to take care of my recovery. So I learned to use Zoom, which has taken me to more CR, AA, and Al-Anon meetings in new places. Over the years, I have struggled with issues of acceptance. The AA Blue Book says that acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation unacceptable to me. I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. It doesn't say that everything is going to be fair, make sense, or seem right to me. A lack of acceptance is a lack of surrender, even though it is my daily habit to prayerfully surrender my will and life over to God's care and control. Admittedly, some things in life are painfully hard to accept, but it's my job to embrace life as it is, not as I would have it. In this case, I must humble myself. When I got saved and came to recovery, I found it hard to accept that family members were not willing to come along and seek healing too. I was angry and I grieved over it for years. Eventually, I had to let go of my dreams and my plans for how I thought others should live their lives. <laughs> I had to learn that every individual is responsible for their own happiness and their own healing. In my family, I had become the one responsible for everyone's unhappiness, and I believed it. I would accept or admit to things just to make troubles go away. Taking responsibility for things that aren't mine was a detrimental pattern in my life, and I don't have to do that anymore. What I am learning to do is be responsible for what makes up me, and that is a full-time job. I see that God is slowly healing me, putting this shattered woman back together and taking out what is no longer needed. I have gained a deeper understanding that everything belongs to God. Every program, every resource is his, and he will use anything he chooses to work on me. Over the years, he has sent me out to other groups and situations for this purpose. I know that no matter where he sends me, I will never be secular because Jesus Christ is my higher power and he is with me wherever I go. I also understand that recovery is not something I will ever graduate from, nor will I outgrow my need of it because this side of heaven, I will never be perfect. I am grateful that God would want to work on me and use me and that he has provided the steps, meetings, and sponsors for that purpose. I just have to be willing. Now, about the 12th step, which is having had a spiritual experience as a result of the steps, we try to carry this message to others and practice these principles in all our affairs. To keep our recovery, we must also give it away by becoming a willing servant of God to help others and further his kingdom. One of my first service commitments at CR was the food team. I remember I was asked to man the cash box, and I tried to avoid it. I was afraid that something would go wrong and the box wouldn't balance. Then I'd be asked to leave and I, I really needed to be here. <laughs> 
God kept putting that box in front of me until I finally agreed to do it. You see, God knows everything. He knows our hearts. Serving helped build my self-esteem. It gave me a sense of responsibility, and having a commitment to serve also helped me to keep coming back. Once I completed a step study, I started sponsoring other women. Sponsorship is important to having successful recovery, and it's best not to walk through one's own dark mind unescorted. A good sponsor will walk alongside you with a flashlight of insight, wisdom, and support. In 2006, I became a facilitator for Women's Drug and Alcohol Group. I am grateful for recovery meetings where we help ourselves and each other by sharing our experience, strength, and hope. When I was new to Big Valley, I noticed there was Angel Tree Ministry. I thought, there's a place for you here. This church likes convicts. <laughs> I chose to serve on Angel Tree by reaching out to the families of incarcerated at Christmas time, giving gifts to their children, writing letters to the inmates, and learning to be a ministry coordinator. God had a plan, so I also served at parole and community team meetings at the Gospel Mission and probation meetings where I was able to share about Celebrate Recovery with those newly released. Hebrews 13.3, remember those in prison as if you were there with them, revealed for the purpose of serving in the jail. <laughs> I had not been inside an institution for 24 years, and I was really nervous. God was going to help me face this fear. In 2014, there was already a Men's Life Healing Choices group running in the jail, and we added a new one for female inmates, plus two open share groups as well. We were able to be consistent in our service at jail for seven years until 2020 when the pandemic came. In April 2021, God opened up an opportunity for me to serve as a volunteer chaplain doing one-on-one -on -one visits from home on the internet and live through glass at the jail. I also started attending women's Bible study at the Vine House, which gave me much-needed fellowship, a deeper understanding of his word, and support for the group from the group of loving women there. Fast forward to 2023. Stan County Jail has opened its, opened its doors once again, and we are in the process of trying to get back inside to resume sharing the love of Jesus and CR with God's inmates. I'm going tomorrow to get my pass. <clears throat> this area of service is so very rewarding. We have seen many people accept Jesus as their savior in the jail, and we rejoice in seeing the happy faces of those who come to join us at Big Valley CR or at other CRs after they get out. There's a slogan often heard in meetings, let it begin with me, which is about carrying the message to others in need. And to quote a message from Alan on Hope for Today, it is true that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. I know I'm not the teacher. I'm just a vessel my higher power uses to carry this message of hope and recovery. Who hears this message is up to God. We are all students as we become willing, and the thing with recovery is you really must want it. Now to the newcomer, I want to say good job coming through those doors. You are welcome here and loved. We have all been new, and it takes courage to walk through those doors. Recovery is a whole package, so be willing to do it all. Because as the saying goes, half measures avail nothing. Please keep coming back and don't give up until the miracle happens. Thank you, Father God, for with you all things are possible. Thank you for letting me. Ah, thank you, Kathy. Man, at the end there, you dropped some Yoda knowledge on us. That was awesome.
That was phenomenal. Thank you, Kathy. Um, I was listening to her story and uh, so much stuff impacts our life. And one of the things that keeps us stuck is shame. And we get stuck with that shame in our brain, in our heads. It really affects how we think about ourselves. And uh, even to the point where she said, taking out the trash. And uh, I just want to encourage you tonight that you're not trash. I want to encourage you tonight to face that shame, deal with that shame, because there's a God out there that loves you and cares for you. Our focus question tonight is how do you handle your guilt and shame now that you're in recovery? So uh, pretty awesome how that works out, but uh, really good. Thank you, Kathy, for sharing. Uh, if you're interested in being part of the jail ministry, uh, we need men right now to go into the jails and do some of that work there. Uh, please talk to Kathy at dessert or if you see her around here, it'd be awesome. But let's close our time with a serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever the next. Amen. Hey, go to Open Share Group and uh, invite somebody to get dessert. First time guest right across the hallway, second time guest right up front. Love you guys. See ya. Trust your heart.